Hey, good morning all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's a Tuesday, and that means, good friends, that it's time for us to talk about politics here on the Common Good Podcast. But, you know, because we're the Vote Common Good people, we're kind of always sort of thinking about uh, politics around here. But we get very specific on Tuesdays. Rob Ryersey out of... Uh, snuck away somewhere just outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Like Badgett here outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dan Dietrich lurking in the background, making it all look and sound the way it's supposed to. So those of you that had to yell last week when um, Paul Wallace and I were on because there was an echo. No echo today. Dan's here. He's got it covered. Because <laughs> had a little no, bit of trouble last week, but boy, there were some I cleaned it up were- in post. You never notice. Cleaned it up in post. <laughs> Love it. Well, uh, yeah, ended up being a little echo. But today, you're just going to hear echoes of goodness. That's all you're going to hear today on the, uh, on the live stream. Hey, uh, Rob, uh, how are uh, how are things looking weather-wise there in, in Arkansas? Still no. hot and humid? No, no. We were, we were in the 90s last week, and uh, this week in the, like, high 50s, low 60s, it... Uh, oh. Shocking to the system. So it's uh, it's overcast. Looks like it's going to rain today, but today's election day, so I'm feeling uh, good. I am going to vote today. There, yeah, it's a big time in Arkansas. A primary mm-hmm. elections happening. They've been happening. We're going to talk a bit about primaries. In fact, before Keith Davenport, who's running for the state legislature in Kansas, is going to join us. Well, you've got the you got the wind at your back there. It's sunny and lovely here in Minneapolis. So, for what that's worth, uh, it's uh, kind of hanging in there. We had a cold front this weekend. Boy, there are times where you know, like it gets to be forty degrees in late May, and it just just takes the hope right out of your soul. Uh, when you right. live in a place, live in a place like I do. But speaking of hope in the soul, Rob, I have actually felt pretty good about the fact that the Republican Party in certain parts of the country seems like it's going to uh, find some correction for itself. Now, I think you know the Republican Party needs to sit it out for the next decade and think about what they've done by the kind of candidates they've elected. But boy, it feels like. There's some corrections uh, in the in the air now. Not there in Arkansas. It seems like uh, you know a Trump loyalist is going to be uh, the nominee for the Republican governorship, uh, but that's more of probably because of a family dynasty. You know, that's she's a bit more of a Hillary Clinton character. You know, that she's just running on the coattails of a family name. Uh, that's a little dig at you Republicans that support. You know, that we're so bothered by Hillary Clinton running on the family name and are not bothered, uh, not bothered by uh, Huckabee Sanders running on her on her family name. Uh, but do you have any sense that you know, with Madison Cawthorn losing his primary, with David Perdue in Georgia not going to uh, win the primary as the Trump-backed one, the Trump's work in Georgia trying to get the Secretary of State uh, out of office is looking like tonight it's not going to happen. It feels just like. Maybe there's some slight correction happening internally in the Republican Party. Do you think there's any hope that that's actually what's happening? Well, I I think those two two races are 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 different in my mind. I think the Madison Cawthorn situation is not an indication of anything a anything good in the Republican Party. You know, we would love to look at this election and say, listen, Madison Cawthorn was, you know, this is a repudiation of of this type of politics. I actually mm-hmm. don't think that's the case. Oh. I think Madison Cawthorn was uh, torpedoed by Republican operatives with a series of, um, you know, scandalous leaks um, with, you know, it just was a, 
it was just an unending drip of stories about Madison Cawthorn for the last month before the election. Some of them self-inflicted, but not all of them. Some people are saying that, you know, a big part of this was, you know, the Coke-fueled orgy allegations that he made against his Republican yeah. uh, counterparts, his, his colleagues, and that this was retaliation for that. Um, but the thing about what happened with Madison Cawthorn is, There's kind of two things. One is it showed that you can still get Republican primary voters to vote against someone by insinuating that they are gay, you know, which was a number of these scandals were related to that is hand on a on the crotch of a Mm -hmm. uh, of a uh, of of a staffer. You know, the dressed in lingerie, involved in you know. So, so horse- you think it's more more doubling down on the classic, you know, anti LGBT, yeah. even though Madison Cawthorn is not, yeah, it's- a gay a gay man. You you think there was that that you don't think it was people saying, look, this dark MAGA business, all this no. Trumpism thing, is what the voters no. in there in this case in North Carolina moved against you think it was just a particularity of this 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 cat and, and his, his own problem i do well i was just i was just hoping a little bit that maybe there was some now i mean what know, we could hope Georgia is kind that- of shows that too and some parts of you know some of the elections just the the primary voters have not gone along with the big lie supporters in quite the way that a lot of us had worried um yeah Yep. Now, whether yeah. they all come back home, you know, on election day is something that, that we hope, you know, that people are willing to break with the Republicans, uh, yeah. stay broken. Um, yeah. And, and, and what we're, what we're seeing is what we're not seeing is in any of these races, whether it's, you know, Governor Kemp in Georgia or, um, you know, the, this, this state legislator who, who beat Madison Cawthorn, what we're not seeing is like a vocal anti-Trumpism candidate mm-hmm. winning mm-hmm. a never Trumper. You know, we're not mm-hmm. like, we're not seeing a, you know, someone like an Evan McMullen or, or even like a, like a Liz Cheney, you know, yeah. someone who's taking a stand like, like that, winning these elections what we're seeing is a kinder gentler trumpism winning uh-huh. and and yeah. it's it's not it's it's disconcerting and you know what we're seeing is these candidates who continue to have horrific policy positions and and beliefs you know just maybe you know their loyalty to the person of Donald mm-hmm. Trump um you know, it might vary, but I, we're not seeing any kind of, I don't know, self-reflection from the Republican party. I don't think mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I so happy to see Madison Cawthorn lose. Yeah. Frankly, so I, yeah, just, but I would much rather have seen him lose in the general election than in the primary, because I think mm-hmm. that that race now becomes much more difficult for Jasmine yeah. Beach Ferrara to win. Yeah, no, look, there's no doubt we'd rather, I'd rather have a, uh, a Democrat win that seat than for the Republicans to, to do some correction. I just also think that, you know, repudiating full MAGA Trumpism whenever that happens is just a good little sign. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like when you're sick and any thing that, 
makes you feel, you know, that shows that you're getting better. I have a little more energy today. My appetite is up a little bit. You know, I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm not sniffling the way I was. Any of those we should count as a good thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's easy to just be straight, straight up partisan. And I, again, I'm comfortable with that right now. I think it's what's necessary. And we need to see some kind of, some kind of improvement. So maybe tonight, you know, in Georgia, in Arkansas, mm -hmm. where you are, in Alabama, um, I, I mean, there, there's just so much going on. Hey, an another piece of news, Vladimir Putin has <laughs> banned a bunch of people from going to, uh, to from going to Georgia, from going to uh, Russia, uh, you know, said, hey, a little retaliation. You don't get to come here to Russia and put a bunch of people on that list. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, Morgan Freeman, uh, a <laughs> bunch of people are banned for whatever reason. You know, uh, a thousand people or more banned. Did you know who's not banned? The twice impeached failed presidential candidate, Donald Trump, not banned from going to to Russia. Of all the people you could put on a list, the former president of the United States is somebody who's not banned. All these other people are. And I'll just, now maybe, maybe Putin is just trolling people like us. Maybe he's just trolling the American media. Maybe he's just trying to stir up all this, uh, you know, Russia talk about Trump. But it's just unbelievable that the uh, former president of the United States is the only one of prominence that, and by Trump's claim, as a president who was so hard on Putin and so hard on Russia, you know, but he's one guy that's not being banned at all. It's just really, truly something. I feel like this is one of those things that I aspire to. I would like to be on the list of people banned by <laughs> Vladimir Putin. You know, wow. wouldn't that be great to like, you know, you're just, you're just going through your, you know, your Monday you know, just having a normal day, and yeah. then you get the little uh, alert on your phone that you have been banned from visiting Russia. Listen, so this is a weird, weird story, and I want really wonder about the timing here. Like, what what's going on with this? Is it what's the purpose of this? Is is Vladimir Putin about to do something? Did he do something yesterday that we don't know about yet? And this is purely distraction because mm. Vladimir Putin has shown that he understands the American media and mm. cultural landscape better than most. Um, you know, we look at, you know, we think about R Russian interference in the, mm -hmm. in, in the, in the 2016 election and, and how Russia figured out that, you know, they could create Facebook groups that would, you know, and, and create news. You know, it, it feels like it's this, you know, Russia's this thing so far away, um, you know, and, and, unless, of course, you're Sarah Palin and can see Russia from your, from your porch. Um, but it seems like there are people in Russia that really understand the American news cycle and mm -hmm. American media and how to manipulate it. Right. And the I, I think you're right on the money that like they know that this would be a story that this would be something that would get noticed that putting out a list that includes certain people and and doesn't include other people would capture yeah, sure. the American would capture the American media and the American attention for a period of time and I wonder if it's something that you know was done intentionally to um, mm -hmm. um to distract 
attention for, you know, some other nefarious purpose. I don't know. I I wonder if we're going to find out in a couple of days that something big happened in Ukraine or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, this is this is a weird story that just something doesn't feel my spider senses are tingling on this one. Yeah, I could see that. I, I'm not even sure it would require a particular action that they're trying to distract from. I think it mm -hmm. could simply be one of the ways to really fracture this country is to show that a former president of the United States previous to his run during his presidency and afterward is deeply tied in with Russia. Just yeah. that is yeah. significant enough to, to have great effect in the United States. And I believe that it's true. Yeah. You know, there's just, there is no, no one I know. I'm no Russians who live here in Minnesota who don't have as much contact with Russians as the Trump campaign and the Trump uh, uh, crowd does. It's just simply stunning. Um, yeah. And look, so, and the fact that no one in that circle, Trump himself, doesn't come out and say, hey, I should also be banned. Like, there, there's no comment about this at all. It, it's, it is, it is just part and parcel to the, I think, you know, just all the, all the nonsense that is this. Hey, speaking of people being banned, the Catholic Church under the bishop mm. of San Francisco has decided that Nancy Pelosi is not their kind of Catholic any longer, and she can't, uh, she's not eligible to receive communion from the diocese in San Francisco, which is her home. So her home Catholic church leaders have said that she can't receive communion. Really, truly stunning. Now, people that don't know, and I'm not a Catholic, so I can't speak firsthand knowledge, but if you understand about how Catholic structure works and hierarchy works, the bishop of a particular diocese is really in charge of that diocese. And then, you know, of course, there's there's cardinals and and the Pope and so on. But they're the one that kind of gets to gets to run what happens inside the parishes in that diocese. So in Washington, DC, where Nancy Pelosi works, you know, her her work home, uh, she's eligible to receive communion. In her living home, the bishop there says she can't. And there's this fight among the bishops in the United States. So you truly cannot take one action of a, of a bishop and say that's Catholics across the United States, Catholics mm -hmm. across the world, or even Catholics in you know the San Francisco diocese. That being true, this is really something that mm -hmm. these bishops, this new class of bishops, even with the Pope being so much more open and progressive than we've seen in a long time, a lot of these bishops actually come up under the older style of Catholicism. And they're naming names and saying that policy positions that violate the Catholic Church uh, teachings are then going to be reasons for um, what they would call, what the bishop there called, pastoral intervention. Meaning we need to correct Nancy Pelosi so that she mm -hmm. comes in line with, with Catholic teaching. It's extremely difficult for people like us who are trying to help Catholics and uh, other Christian faith voters to move their political identity, um, it's it's just particularly problematic, and I think just heartbreaking yeah. that um, I'm not a Catholic. I I don't think you know I don't really hold to the. I don't think it's a great idea to have communion carry the kind of weight that it does in the Catholic Church, and have a bishop be able to decide if you can receive the outward sign of the grace of God. But that's how that's what their structure is, and to remove that from someone is just something else. 
Yeah. It seems like every, I don't know, every nine months or so, we get one of these stories where, you know, a, a bishop has banned some some politician from from receiving communion. I think, you know, it's it there was some discussion about Joe Biden um, you know, being banned in Boston or something. I have some memory of that. Uh, you yeah. know, it's you know, this is one of those things that like this is a bishop grandstanding getting his 15 minutes of fame. Listen, the, being the bishop of <laughs> San Francisco, that's a big deal, right? Like yeah. I mean, I have never I have never achieved that level in the uh, ecclesiastical world. You know, it's a big deal. But listen, nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody thinks about the bishop <laughs> of San Francisco. He is getting Catholics his fifteen do. minutes. I promise you, I, Catholics, I Catholic. Oh man, I Catholics. I'm, I'm feeling cynical this morning. I yeah, you like. Are. I. I well, I'm I, telling you, there's I, only 260. There's 260 Catholic bishops in the United States uh, across the diocese, and did you have not to Google all, that, or did you did you actually know that right off the top of your head? Is there a difference between what you know in your head and what you know in your hard drive? Is there really truly a difference? <laughs> no, I guess there's not. Uh, <laughs> I knew that. I knew that in my hard drive brain. Yeah. Um, they're not all equal. All the bishops, right. like any structure, people carry different mm -hmm. weight. It's a big deal. It's a big deal when an official statement from a bishop says we are now basically moving this person of public prominence into a place of being in in uh, in disagreement and out of step with the, with the teachings of the Catholic Church. And this is around abortion. Uh, that's that's yeah. what it's about. And what's curious about it is Nancy Pelosi has not changed her position on abortion at all. What's mm -hmm. happening, and the reason why I think it has particular saliency, is that it's showing that the anti-abortion movement feels more strengthened now because of the leaked document of you know five uh, unelected judges' decision about the constitutionality of uh, abortion in this country. So now I think it's paired with that. I think it's paired with now these bishops think we are the ones, our opinion is the one that matches the federal government uh, understanding of constitutionality. And therefore, what we say is going to carry different weight. And now you need to fall in deeper alignment with us um, because now you. So I think it's a part of that. I think it's part of this larger cultural shift that's not just. That that bishops try to you know um, get a little bit of attention because you, you know look I mean you don't become a bishop because you want to be famous probably right <laughs> uh, you know it's it's a it's pretty it's pretty niche uh, being a being a Catholic bishop <laughs> you, you don't you, not for the Twitter followers that's that's but, not for the clout that's right you, you start a YouTube channel if you're doing that but I will say they. Um, they have a disproportionate amount of effect in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's it's not lost, shouldn't be lost on anyone that the great majority of our Supreme Court justices are of Catholics, and that the five justices that that ruled the way they uh, are seeming seemingly going to on Roe versus Wade are all Catholics. This is Catholic narrating. This is and this is where the it's hard for some people to grasp that. 50 years ago, it was hard for Catholics to find a place in American politics. Yeah. When John Kennedy was elected and when mm -hmm. uh, Catholics were on the rise, there was all kinds of Protestant resistance to Catholics. Yeah. That has 
almost completely shifted in the religious narrative at the highest levels, the number of people in Congress, the number of people in the judiciary, especially on the Supreme Court, uh, that are who, who uh, are, are Catholic. So I think that's what this is really about. I think it's something much deeper than just a yeah. particular bishop yeah. or something. Yeah. Now, Doug, I, I want to shift uh, conversation a bit because we have a, I, I know that you've got a little bit different setup today and you're not seeing the, the comments in the chat. There is a lively conversation happening in the chat. Oh. Um in in the comments um with folks we were asked about um about what our thoughts were about vladimir putin's health and if we think that he's ill and there is a, there's quite a conversation taking place in in the comments about uh, speculating about about putin's health so i i thought we maybe we ought to comment on that since it's uh, it's <laughs> happening it's happening live in our in our in our chat uh, do you do you, what do you do you have any thoughts have you have you seen no, these stories about i've seen you the know, stories and heard them yeah that he yeah, is, that Putin's you know, got cancer. That he's cancer. got mm-hmm. um, moon face. Uh, this was a this was a term that I didn't know mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. There, there's one. I, I oh shoot, I can't remember his name. But there is a there is a doctor I follow on Twitter who's also he's an expert in body language, and he often will uh, he will right. examine public you know public events and you know press mm-hmm. conferences and whatnot uh you know trials and whatnot it will will examine all of them based on you know through the lens of body language and interpreting them and and he has done some work on 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 putin as well and has talked about moon face being a thing that like and has shown pictures where it seems to be like a result of using steroids which would be mm-hmm. you know an ind- indication of uh of uh you know, possibly cancer treatment. Uh, you know, so I, what do you, what do you think? Is 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 Vladimir Putin gravely ill and doing this? You know, because he's got you know, you know, I don't know. Starting World I've War heard, Three was on I've his heard bucket list. I don't yeah, know. I've heard speculation about that 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 he is a sick and he's using these actions, especially around you know the invasion of Ukraine and the atrocities there, in order to narrate a different story about his own strength um yeah it, it very well could be and look the this is this is where you're remi- whether he's as sick as people are saying or not who could know he's clearly sick there, th- these kinds of of rumors wouldn't be out and about and couldn't be staying alive if there wasn't something to it right they would just squash it Right. That would just be the it would just be the end of it. No, nobody with any influence would be talking about it if it if there wasn't some reason for it. So there's probably something there, how sick he is or whatnot. But it also shows that the individual choices and the individual experiences of leaders, especially global leaders, especially dictator leaning kind of leaders, how much impact that has. Like we do need to fix our, fix our systems. We do need to have structures that can keep things right. But so often the struggles that we see in the world, the things that nations do, companies do, businesses, uh, organizations, it comes down to people behaving in certain ways because of human experience, not only because of systems and structures. And this to me is uh, an indicator of that. If any of his behavior is actually related to his own uh, health, then it even doubles down on that idea that it's just extremely dangerous um, yeah. when someone has the kind of power that he does where his own um, health issues 
can can be so dangerous. Look, you saw that in the United States with with Reagan when in the final years when Reagan was starting to show signs of what ultimately you know affected him so deeply with Alzheimer's. I think he clearly saw it with with Trump. Uh, there's people who worry about that with Biden that the physical capabilities of a person start to have public implication policy. But sometimes it's even more than just, you know, hey, the person's slowing down or is not keeping up their faculties or, you know, has to go in for a dementia test as Trump did and then told us about man, woman, camera, leaves, cars, whatever it was when he just named the things that he could see. Remember that one? Um, this is just all part of the reality that is... Uh, of the systems and structures that we live in, that we don't just live in a political world. We live in a people run world and people make decisions and do things. And it has great, great implications on other people in their lived lives. Hey, speaking of uh, people whose lives really make a difference, Keith Davenport uh, is running for the state legislature in Kansas. Keith, so glad to have you with us. Congratulations, yeah, thanks man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Keith, thanks for, thanks for being with us today. How does one come about to like, run for the state legislature in Kansas? Like what, how, how does that happen? Yeah. Living here, living here helps. Uh, and just the love, <laughs> love for the state. You're uh, no Dr. Really, Oz is what you're saying. You actually choose to run for, <laughs> for office in the state that you live in. That's a, yeah, that's a right. Real. We really need people in the state house who understand what we're going through at the local level. And I think so often, uh, we find that, uh, state legislatures are chasing national narratives but here in District 43, we have some really significant local issues that are of concerns to us. And we need somebody in Topeka that really represents those. Thinking about childcare and good public schools, the, the cost of home ownership here has been skyrocketing. So we need jobs that can keep up with that. We need roads that help our economy grow and not slow it down. And so just thinking about some really practical local issues that can be solved at the state level um, mm -hmm. that we can go and do. And so just thinking about how can we how can we have a state representative who is attentive to the needs of our constituents, who is available to answer questions and to respond to concerns, even if those are coming from folks who are on the opposite end of the political yeah. spectrum from you? And um, I, I'm thinking back um, a few years ago, I, I got I was working at Johnson County Community College, it's a, a local community college here. And uh, I had just gotten a promotion and I took over this leadership development program for students there. And it was one of those extracurricular programs where students voluntarily came apart. And my first semester there, um, they had uh, they had been contracting out a speaker to come in and, and lead this program for years. And so I kind of sat through and um, what I found was he was a really engaging speaker and he, he really made the students laugh. But it just mm -hmm. didn't quite like sink in as this like practical leadership stuff you can you can take on. So. Um, what I ended up doing is I brought a team together. We worked in, including some students who gave me feedback. We built a whole new leadership program that was really focused in on practical lessons mm. they could use right now as like leaders of uh, clubs or in their classes, or many of them worked uh, while being in school, but then also they could, they could practice them now, but it also would work 10 years later if they were owning their own business or they were uh, as in the C-suite of a large company, or if they were uh, in their own civic engagement. And so that's really what I'm hoping I can bring to Topeka is the sense of, mm. Let's look at what we have now, and then let's bring folks together and build something better that's practical, yeah. that solves problems both now and for the long term for Kansas and for our community in District 43. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you are um, talking about local issues and, you know, in, in like 
like that was like perfect candidate segue into I'm going to talk about roads in Johnson County, Kansas. Like that was, I mean, that's fantastic. Um, but one of the things that you said is of interest to me, you talked about like this relationship between, you know, the national narrative and state legislatures, what we've, what we've seen over the last several years and, and really, and, and really amplified in the last few months. So there's, what happens in state legislatures around the country can impact everybody in America. Um, you know, this is it, state legislatures are like, I mean, like, does anybody, does anybody even know who their like their state Senator is their state represent? Like sure. this is not at the top of the list in terms of, you know, people's political interest. But what we've seen is that state legislatures have tremendous impact on not just their state, but impact nationally. Like, so this is a, you know, how, how does that, how is that factored into, you know, how do you think about all of that and the role that state legis legislatures play in, you know, shaping not just policy and, and the, the situation in your state, but the whole country? Yeah. And I think um, what's unfortunately true at times is, when a state legislature is uh, primarily in national news for what um, for what's going on, um, and even if you're really thinking about um, how it might impact America as a whole, oftentimes their state, the people in their state, are the folks who are getting left behind in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. So if the state legislature is primarily working on policies in response to to federal policies or trying or some grand overarching narrative. The, it's the people in their state they get they get left behind. That's not always true, and there it has to be good balance because the state also has responsibility to to govern in relationship with the federal government. But um, it you have to you have to have balance there so that you're not only following whatever a some national narrative is to the detriment of your people, to the detriment mm -hmm. of your constituents. And so that's what, one of the fears I have. Um, if the only thing we're hearing from our state legislature is how they're responding to the federal government, we're really missing out on some major crises this year. Um, actually, this legislative session, we just yesterday, the session in Kansas ended. And in Kansas, there's one group that's estimating that there's about 175,000 kids in need of child care. But there's only, excuse me, about 150,000 kids in need of child care and only about 75,000 spots for, for children uh, in mm -hmm. child care. So we literally have twice as many kids who need child care than we have spots for them. But child care didn't come up even one time in this legislative session in any kind of significant policy issue. So it's easy to get sucked into where you get some media coverage, perhaps, but then miss out on what the real needs of Kansans are. Hey, Keith, thanks for running. It's really great and so glad that you are. But I'm interested in a little more story about why you decided to run, right? Uh, tell us about sure. the, Kansas, the Kansas legislature. It's it's not a professional job, right? It's a right. It's a part. It's part time job. Can you just describe that and your process for thinking about? Hey, I should add to the other things I want to do in my life. Uh, this work, I'm particularly interested. Yeah. I did a, had a similar journey back in 2010. Tried to run for the Minnesota state legislature and didn't didn't get the nomination. So you know, I'm now doing this. But I would have, I would have had to do this anyway, right? Because here it's you know it's a it's it's part time work. Can you describe yeah. some of that and then say a bit about why choose that avenue for influence? as one of the 165 
you know, represented voices in the, in sure. the Kansas legislature, as opposed to doing other things where you, you influence those people? Uh, that's a great question. So I, I first moved to Kansas 14, 15 years ago to go to seminary and to pastor churches in uh, connected with the Church of the Nazarene, which their national international headquarters is here just oh, about 15 minutes from my house. And so that's how I came out here. And it was definitely immediately plugged in. I was in Kansas City, Kansas. I was in Lawrence and just figuring out ways for that local church to get connected in the community in significant ways beyond what you might think of for religious services, but also thinking about food pantries, um, connecting in partnerships with colleges and universities and the students. And so sort of this DNA of making the community better has been part of my professional career from the get-go. Fast forward a little bit, I was was pastoring churches that um, were were small, we were restarting congregation, didn't pay pay a salary, so I had to get another job too. Uh, That's how I ended up at the community college that I mentioned earlier. Uh, And then through a long journey there, I ended up working in local government with Johnson County, Kansas government um, and in both county manager's office and the Mill Health Center. And the reality is, as I got engaged in that local government, I loved it. Um, I loved understanding how all the policies work together uh, to shape the community, how it wasn't as simple ever as just black and white, as you can put in 280 characters on a tweet. Uh, It was always... um, everything's connected. And I I enjoyed trying to figure out the most effective way to do that. So I went back to school, got my MPA, but uh, to your point, Doug, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a part-time, part-time deal. So in Kansas, this is a real struggle. So legislature's only in session from um, January to about May. Uh, You uh, you get a per diem is your income from that experience that equates to about $22,000 a year. So the only folks who are able to serve in the legislature in uh, in Kansas are the folks who um, either maybe are independently wealthy or they have a partner who has enough income uh, to support their whole family or if they um, they have some kind of job that allows them to be gone for half the year and then still keep their uh, position. So uh, it, it definitely limits the candidate pool there. So that how that plays into my story um, so I have four kids, uh, three of them in the school district here locally. And when I was working in local government, while I was really interested in state politics, you can't keep your job in local government while serving an elected office in the state. And mm-hmm. so in order for me to run at that point, um, I would have had to quit my job, which not not possible. Yeah. So I, I actually just shifted uh, careers back in November, uh, back into the nonprofit world. And so now I'm the executive director of uh, two nonprofits, uh, doing the same thing. One's the Missouri Center for Employee Ownership, and we're just uh, this week filing our articles of incorporation for the Kansas Center for Employee Ownership. So it's an economic development group that uh, helps baby boomer business owners be able to retire and keep their businesses and jobs in the community after they do so. Uh, so that's kind of the short version of yeah. how I ended up here. Definitely a struggle. Um, I'm so grateful that I have a job that's that supported my uh, interest in running and excited about it. And so um, I have two different boards of directors that are both uh, in favor of it. And then where you're part of a national network that's both also supported uh, me running while continuing to serve in, in my role with these organizations. How, how much do you know already about, about what you're going to do when you're, when you're the legislator? Do you, do you know that world well? Have you tracked along with those people? Have you, have you kept up? Are you like, hey, I really do want this job? Or uh, is it something where you're thinking, I, you know, I'm I, sure I'm going to win. I, I want to do this, but I'm not totally sure what I'm going to be up to. That's a great question. 
so I, I'm up for it. Um, that's for sure. And what I'm and what drives me is being available to the people in my community to solve problems. I don't really know what all the day to day stuff looks like. Uh, actually, you could do a quick Google search. You could see that government transparency is a little bit of an issue in Kansas. So don't really quite know how all the all the, the pieces come together. But I have talked to several uh, state representatives and, and state senators who have been supportive of, of our campaign and are excited about the chance to have me join the ranks. And uh, so looking forward to the opportunity to serve the people of District 43. Keith, what has, uh, you know, you just filed a couple of weeks ago to, to run. So you're right kind of in the beginning stages. What is there been anything that surprised you so far? Take us like give give folks like a, a little window into like what it's like to to run for office. Do you, anything that, that has been a, a surprise to you? Anything that people would go, whoa, well, that's not what I expected. Two things that popped out uh, in my head as soon as you said that. One is it took me a minute to shift from being a pastor to being a candidate. I know that's an experience that probably not many folks have also traveled, but the right audience, right? So, I mean, it's a, it's a different conversation. I'm trying to be a spiritual advisor at some point to gathering the community around to create some um, political change, right? And so that's been a little bit of a, of a shift in the way I connect with folks. Um, I, and so, but a positive one. And I've had a, a good team around me that's, that's helped me be able to, to connect with my community. Um, the other piece is, so I'm running as a, as a Democrat in a, in a conservative district uh, that's had a Republican incumbent in office for 10 years without too much of a challenge. Uh, and so on the front end, uh, when I was first talking about running, a lot of folks were surprised that I'd run in this district or um, they warned me about the long road ahead of me that I have. And uh, so what uh, has come on the backside of that then, as soon as I filed, I have been shocked by the number of conservatives that have come over to the campaign already. Uh, I think I've actually talked to more conservatives than Democrats at this point. And it just goes back to uh, what I mentioned on the front end. People are ready for a change because they're ready for a state representative who actually understands local issues, who's available uh, to answer questions and to respond to concerns, even if you're on opposite ends on uh, on an issue. And so um, that's been refreshing to know that folks really are seeking good governance and engaged elected leaders and not just following a, a party. And I'm hoping that we can continue to lean into that in the weeks ahead. But so when, when these folks come to you and they have a history of being conservative, um, voting for Republicans, I'm guessing, and maybe you're one of the first Democrats they've ever thought about voting for. Right, yeah. What what do you hear from them? What What's driving, I mean, other than, well, hey, I can get access to you. I couldn't get access to, you know, fill in the blank. What do you think's going on with them? You know, you're a people person. You've, you teach in colleges, you've yeah. bastard people. Like, you know, what's, you, you vibe out that there's something more than just what someone's telling you. What's your suspicion about what's, what's driving that? I think that it comes down to trust. I, I was just having this conversation with a, a guy this week who um, has voted for, Trump in the last two presidential elections and um, will likely vote Republican in every um, presidential election for his life, but reached out to me wanting to meet. And I think it just comes down to being available, like you said, like the access, but then like sitting down and like, oh, this is a real person who actually uh, has a good head on his shoulders, who understands our community, who has a family here, who is really seeking to do something good for the community uh, and not just um, a bunch of politics. And I say that politics in a, like in the negative connotation of just playing games or, or moving mm -hmm. stuff around, mm -hmm. like just a real person. And I think that 
it's refreshing for folks to have an elected leader who's just a real person who's can sit and have coffee and and chat uh, really personally. And so that's really simple uh, and probably oversimplifying it. But I think just folks are excited to have uh, a state representative they can trust on a personal level. Keith, we um, we launched last week. We made the announcement that we are launching a, a project through Vote Common Good called Candidates for Common Good, um, where you know our work is inviting voters of faith, particularly white evangelicals and white Catholics, to use the common good as their voting criteria. And what we're doing as well is now is asking candidates who are running for office to use the common good as their governing criteria should they be elected. And we had um, kind of our first round of, of recognitions of, of candidates who step forward and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a candidate for common good. So we've invited candidates to do that and we've had, you know, a great response so far. Folks like elected officials like Ted Lieu and Katie Porter you know, Senate candidates like uh, like like Tim Ryan, gubernatorial candidates like Nan Whaley in Ohio and Chris Jones here in Arkansas, and then we had a couple of uh, a couple of state legislative candidates, um, Lisa Parks, who's actually running to be my state legis- my state senator. Um, That's right. And uh, and and you, Keith, and there in Kansas, what was it about? becoming a candidate for common good what that that resonated with you that made you want to be a part of this uh, this group of candidates that are stepping forward and saying yeah i'm going to make the the common good my my governing criteria yeah before the candidates for common good came out my campaign slogan was already for our common good oh, so nice. uh when when I found out that candidates for common good came was coming out, it was like, duh. I mean, like this is like this. Is, I mean, like, and I have to. It would really be making a statement uh, if you weren't a candidate for common good when your slogan is. That's right. So it just it just made sense. I I talked about my background as a pastor and then working in the community um, through that role and through county government, and so. To me, it doesn't make sense if you're going to run for office, if you're not going to be for our common good. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like it, we should have the, the smaller group of folks in elected office, like that. the smaller group should be the folks who aren't doing that. And unfortunately, that's not the case right now, but it should be and it can be. And so I think it's great that we're collecting candidates together who are really making that their um, rallying cry for for them and their campaigns that that takes first priority. It's really easy to put in policy or to vote for things that help your own family's pocketbook at times. But when you step back and actually think about um, what it means for the community around you, um, it, it changes your perspective on every single policy, every single ballot measure that comes up because um, the vote is different. I was thinking recently about some historical Kansas tax policy. So Sunday was the 10 year anniversary of the Brownback experiment, mm-hmm. uh, which you know has national uh, infamy now. And um, in 2020, so eight years after that first went into to place, when uh, folks were losing their jobs because of the pandemic, pe- people were trying to get unemployment. Um, or there are other folks like me who kept my job, but I was the victim of fraud uh, for unemployment. Somebody filed an unemployment claim in my name. Goodness. I started looking into this because there was this big media mess uh, about how awful the department was. But if you look into it, it was under that bad tax policy uh, from uh, 2012 that seemed like it was going to be good for everybody. People voted for what maybe was lining their pocketbooks at the moment. 
Well, it made the Department of Labor have half the staff and not be able to update their computer systems for years. Mm. And so the community as a whole felt that um, because it was a bad policy that wasn't for our common good. And people who don't know what the Brownback experiment was, Sam Brownback was, some people might have heard of him because he was a senator, but before that he was a governor. Is that right of, of Kansas? And this was a cut taxes kind of experiment and, you know, shrink shrink the government down to the size, you know, the, to right size the government and ends up just having all kinds of detrimental effects. Is that is that how you read it? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's like the best experiment we have of how of trickle down economics uh, and essentially prove they they don't work. Uh, and uh, it left Kansas middle class and low income wage earners behind uh, for years. And we're still 10 years later digging our way out of that hole um, mm-hmm. and so it's it's still a, a key issue but again it's it's that vote common good of figuring out what might be good for me maybe i'll have lower taxes but uh, that's not good when people need essential government services as well you, you have to have the right balance there yeah well keith one, one of the things that uh, i shared a couple of weeks ago when we talked about you joining us here as a guest is that one of my favorite words i don't know since i was a kid oh, was davenport and oh, Rob and Dan were like, saying, hey, don't bring up all your Davenport jokes. But like <laughs> when I first heard that a couch or a sofa is also called a Davenport, I don't know, I fell in love with it. So could I get a, a yard sign just to hang on the wall behind <laughs> me here? Because, you know, a political sign that has my favorite word in the English language yeah. on it. Well, uh, how, gonna, it how has it been growing up with such a such a stalwart name as uh, you know a, a large piece of upholstered furniture? Well, you're going to love this because in fourth grade, uh, as a class mm-hmm. assignment, we all had to um, make our presidential campaign slogans. It was a presidential election year. So my uh, campaign slogan was uh, rest easy with Davenport. Oh, oh. So much. I love you more. I love you more than I did before. And to Dan and Rob, Keith and I are going to go have a little time together and you're not invited because they said, oh. don't bring up any more of your corny Davenport. Davenport. How did you bring it up in this campaign, though? Did you say, hey, back in, you know, uh, elementary school, I came up with. (laughs) No, because uh, most people don't know that that, that, that's another name for a couch. So it takes you to explain the joke. It's not a joke anymore. So, uh, well, or, or it's just one for, you know, it's like comic, it's like jokes for other comics, like only the comics right. get the joke. Yeah. I, right. I, I, so I'll save it for you. Thank you. Uh, well, yeah, uh, there's a whole generation of people that you just might be missing out on if you don't throw in a, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, we can, we can talk about puns and campaigns, uh, later. Cause I think it would really, uh, really, really cushion the cushion, the campaign. Go ahead, Rob. What else you got? What else you got? Uh, for the good, please for the give good, us a, give us a, yeah, give us a, a shameless plug, Keith. How can how can people find you? Where can they uh, they want to follow the campaign? They want to learn more. They want to donate because um, I imagine it takes money to to run for office. Uh, you know how can they how can they find you? That's right. People can join uh, join the campaign at keithforkansas.com. You can find us at, on all the social media platforms with that same name, except for Twitter is my personal name, Keith M. Davenport. Love to have you join the campaign, donate, um, even volunteer from afar if you'd like. Um, we, we, we're building a great campaign and the more the merrier. Hey, how surprised were you that KeithforKansas.com was available? Are you surprised <laughs> that someone hadn't swooped that up? I'm you a know, little surprised. It was uh, an obvious choice and didn't really think yeah. about it. So uh, it works. Good. Well, congratulations. I, you missed an opportunity there with the Davenport, but I think KeithforKansas.com uh, is the is definitely the right choice. Keith, we're super excited about your running and um, 
as we are a lot of other candidates. Any uh, any final words from you about about what, uh, what what you're up to or what you want people to know? You know, uh, I think the biggest thing that folks across the country should know is that public education is really on the ballot this fall in Kansas, in addition to a lot of the national narratives you're going to hear about. Uh, and we really need folks' help to save public education in Kansas. Uh, and that's really been the heart of the campaign so far. Um, there's a lot of bad policy that just got passed and we have to undo it or our systems are going to going to fall. So really love for to connect with folks who support public ed and can help us uh, keep that going in Kansas. Great. Great. So important. Hey, thanks for running all the best. Thank you. Wow. Boy, he's a great yeah, candidate. Just good people just, just up tremendous. and down the ballot. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, you know, I think one. I think one of the great public services that we provide here is giving access to to candidates who are running. You know, from the Senate all the way mm-hmm. to you know legislatures, and people just realizing hey, these are just ordinary people. Politics yeah. is people business, yeah. and uh, it's important to to humanize and to personalize the mm-hmm. uh, the political yeah. spaces. Yeah. Well, I am. Uh, I'm going to head out and vote for several of my favorite people. Uh, you know, I, I have this like really they vote kind of early and vote opp- often. Yeah. I have this just unique, the same election. Yeah. This unique opportunity this time around to, uh, to vote for several people that I personally know and really, really like, and uh, mm. think would be, um, you know, fun. sometimes you kind of hold your nose and it's kind of a lesser of two evils kind of thing. And sometimes it's like, I don't really know who these people are, but I've, I've had a chance to to get to know several of the people I'm going to be voting for today. And man, I'm, I cannot wait to vote for them. And that's a, that's a, a rare feeling. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, and those who are in states, Arkansas is one of those, Georgia, I know uh, Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. That might be it for the yeah. Um, there's a runoff in Texas. On, oh yes, that's right. If you're down, if if you're in that South Texas area and you know anyone down there, send the word word out. I don't know. Post something. Call someone. Uh, send a text message and say, "Hey, you live in this state. Um, get out there." V- you know, voting's not the most attractive thing that people do in their lives, so it's kind of nice to to encourage somebody along every now and again to uh, make sure that they. That they do it and that they um, that they engage in it, you know, full throatedly mm-hmm. and happily. Hey, uh, uh, may are you voting for Chris Jones today? Yeah, I'm voting for Chris. Jones All right. Today. So after today, Chris Jones will be the Democratic uh, nominee. Uh, things go your way. There is no doubt in my mind that I will be sending Chris a uh, congratulatory text later today. Well, let's Kelly. Uh, let's... I'll also be voting for Kelly Kraut, who uh, we had as a guest on the show. Um, and, uh, and Lisa Parks, who's a candidate for common good, I'm going to be voting for her. And so, yeah, it's, uh, great. Well, let's follow up with all these good people and, uh, start, Mm -hmm. uh, chipping them along. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for your uh, participation in the, in the podcast. Thanks for your participation online. Hey, and to all you good people, if you're not yet over on YouTube and liking the channel and watching over there, we're going to want you to do that. So make that move if you would. And, uh, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Twitch are your normal portals in. Get yourself on over there to the channel and watch it on, on the live stream on YouTube. It helps us in a whole lot of ways that uh, we don't have to get into right now, but it really does help. So it's just better if you do. All right, Rob, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.